Hey, John, how are you? I can't complain. Thank you for asking. <laughs> All right, great. I know we have limited time, so I will just jump right into it if that is good with you. Dude, that is totally cool with me, and I will be recording on my end for a little backup. Okay, perfect. So to start out, um, just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started. What were you doing before you started Entrepreneur on Fire, and what gave you the idea to do it and grow it into what it's become? Yeah, my origin story, I'll sum up very quickly, but it takes place in the country state of Maine, where I spent the first 18 years of my life, then went to college on an Army ROTC scholarship and graduated in 2002 at the age of 22 and became a U.S. Army officer for the next eight years, four active, four in the reserves. Did a 13-month tour of duty in Iraq, which really shaped my life in a lot of ways, obviously. And then after my time in the Army, I tried a lot of things, law school, corporate finance, commercial real estate, failed, failed, and failed at all of those ventures. And then finally, at the age of 32, I was like, you know what? This podcasting thing is pretty cool as a listener, why not try doing it on the producer side? And in September, I launched Entrepreneur on Fire, which is a seven-day-a-week podcast where I interview today's most inspiring entrepreneurs. And again, that is seven days a week. And to date, we have over 950 episodes that we've launched to the public, and we generate over a million unique listens every single month. We've been awarded Best of iTunes, and we've created a viable business out of all of it. It's consistently generating over $250,000 every single month through a lot of diverse revenue streams, and it's something that uh, I'm really proud of creating. Yeah, that's awesome. And those are some crazy stats. I want to get into a few things that you mentioned there. Uh, one of the things that you talked about was getting inspired. So when you were first starting out, who inspired you and how has that changed over the years? Who inspires you now? So I had a lot of inspirations when I first started. You know, it really was going back to the first few books that I read by Tony Robbins and by Napoleon Hill and Dale Carnegie and just those authors that really nailed it even way back in the day. I mean, like the Napoleon Hill books were written and published in the 1930s, but it's crazy that they're still so applicable even now and today. And I was just so inspired by that kind of mindset. And that got me into listening to audiobooks and falling in love with audiobooks. And then that got me inspired in listening to podcasts and getting inspired by people who were still alive and were doing mm -hmm. great things like Pat Flynn, Andrew Warner, Davis Seitman Garland, who were really the rock star business podcasters back in the day. And actually Pat and Andrew still are. And, and to me, I just was saying, Hey, if these guys can do it, you know, nothing against them, but just like every entrepreneur, they're just normal guys and I could do it. And I was kind of had that realization and podcasting was something that really excited me. And I said, you know what, if these really nice, genuine, cool entrepreneurs can do it, I can too. And, and that was my first realization that I could actually try this and knowing, taking a Seth Godin quote, I knew that this might not work. So I knew that was okay. So failure was always a possibility. And it was okay if, if that was the result. Fortunately and luckily, it did not result um, in failure. And Entrepreneur Fire is still going strong. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, um, 
something that comes across immediately when people listen to you is just how much energy and uh, I guess passion you have for doing this. Where does that come from? Like, what do you do to stay motivated? And what do you do if you're having not an off week or something, your motivation is low? What do you do to keep that drive going and keep producing at the level that you're producing things at? It's not always easy. And I definitely go through a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of easy and not super easy, but it's relatively easy for me to get ramped up for the public facing side of what I do. You know, the eight interviews that I do every single Tuesday Mm -hmm. uh, for Entrepreneur on Fire, the four interviews I do every single Wednesday on other podcasts, the, the webinars. I mean, I know that it's time to put my game face on, but you know, I'm not always bouncing off walls and, and truly excited. I mean, I, you know, love downtime like the rest of them and just kind of laying on a couch and watching 19 episodes of House of Cards. I dig that stuff. Like I'm into that. And I think it's that kind of balance that really does help me so that I can ramp up my energy and just bring my A game, but at the same time, really tone it down and kind of hibernate and recover at the same time too. So that kind of balance is something that I'm okay with. And I think people need to be okay with in general. But you know, for me, it does come from the fact that at the same time, this is something that I have both passion and skills in. So I can combine my passion, my enthusiasm with my expertise, with things that I'm good at. Now, the key thing I really want to make sure people take away is that I had no skills or expertise in podcasting when I started. Those I acquired by doing hundreds and hundreds of interviews. So that's okay to not have the skills and expertise to start, but you have to be a master at your craft. You have to be willing to put the time and the effort in to acquire those skills as quickly as possible because until you can really mix your passion with skills and value that you can bring to the marketplace, you're not going to have the combination necessary to really achieve great success. Yeah, that's a great answer. Very good point too. Yeah, I think a lot of people think that, um, you know, people like you wake up every day and you're like totally ready to go and you crush it 12 hours a day and repeat it 365 <laughs> days a year. But I do not poop rainbows. I don't. <laughs> okay. Okay. You have, well, I have that on quote now. <laughs> so, so you mentioned, now you started Entrepreneur on Fire when you were 32, you said? Yes. And it seems like um, a lot of people get started earlier, but a lot of people also get started later. And I know like a lot of people that I work with and teach, you know, they're closer to my age, which is going to be 40 this year. Um, Do you think it's easier for younger people in their 20s to start their own business over, say, somebody who's like in their 40s or 50s or even later? There's no magic bullet here. The reality is the right time to start your entrepreneurial journey is when it's the right time. And for me, the right time just happened to be 32 years old. I mean, I had to go through the struggles and the failures of law school, of corporate finance, of commercial real estate before I was really ready to embrace the possibility of entrepreneurship. And so everybody needs to needs to go on their own timeline, needs to follow their own journey and listen to their intuition and to their guts. So there's just no real answer for that. Uh, the reality is, you know in your heart of hearts when the time is right. And if the time is not now, that's okay. You know, just keep educating yourself, keep listening to podcasts, keep the side hustle going, keep the current hustle going, but just realize that when it is time to go, the more you can commit the complete self that you have to that venture, the higher the chance for success. Mm -hmm. 
definitely makes sense. Um, how is it working with your other half? And I was kind of wondering how you do that and how you separate business and personal and keep those both running successfully. So it's not easy. I mean, I will say there's a lot of bleed over and I'm still in the process, you know, even two and a half years after launching EO Fire of perfecting it. And in fact, it really wasn't until the beginning of 2015 that I started putting a massive focus on my health, on my fitness. And I've really been reaping the success of that. I mean, really starting with knowing that eight hours of sleep is is really mandatory for me to be working and, and performing at the top of my game. Mm-hmm. Putting the right foods in my body every single day, staying hydrated with you know, the right waters. You know, I got a reverse osmosis machine. So I'm drinking the, the purified clear water and and you know, and putting in Himalayan sea salt and trace minerals and making sure that I go for power walks every single day and that exercise is absolutely part of my work. You know, it's part of my it's part of my work day. It is a, also my job to exercise, to take the time to put the right foods in my body. That has to be part of the priorities. If not, you will get burnt out and you will not perform at the optimum levels. So there is definitely bleed over between actual non-work and work. And it will always be that way for an entrepreneur. But again, it goes back to me cuddling up on a couch and watching 13 episodes straight of House of Cards. Like there's going to be needs to have those type of days. Yeah, definitely. So um, what would you say to someone who is contemplating going to college versus starting their own business in today's world? You know, I'm a big proponent of not getting yourself into unnecessary debts. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be something that takes those types of education and student loans and debts in all the years it takes to get there, then like you have my full support because that's the process that you need to go through. But if you don't know what you want to do, to saddle yourself with fifty, a hundred and fifty, three hundred thousand dollars in debt at twenty-two 24 years old is crippling. Mm -hmm. And we have a broken education system, uh, specifically in the university level, that really needs to get fixed. And if it doesn't, I really hope that the younger generation is going to wake up and say, screw that. I'm going to take control of my own destiny, not get absolutely crippled by debt, and do my own thing. And I, I really hope that that is the case because I think that's what it's going to take to really cause and effectuate the major reform that needs to happen. So if you're questioning what you want to do in life, like going to college and university may very well likely not be the answer. Um, Once you do figure it out, and if that does require some secondary education, then by all means, do it, make it happen. But don't do it just because of a lack of anything else to do. And it's just sad because 17, 18 year olds, myself included, when I was that age, we didn't know, we had no idea what $150,000 in debt meant. Yeah. And we find out too late. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's very true. I mean, just going to college for the sake of college isn't going to necessarily get you anything, especially if that's not what you want to do or it's not working towards a specific thing that you need that degree for. So true. So what about people who are, you know, they've 
gone past the college they've either went or not. They're working full-time jobs now, but they really want to start their own business. What advice would you have for them? And, you know, how do you do it when you're, you know, say you're working like nine to five and maybe you even have kids or even like you're a single parent or something and, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time and you have basically a whole lot of life to take care of. What is, what are some of the tips you could offer those people? Well, hey, I feel for you because it's not an easy situation to be in um, because it's not going to be easy. It's not easy when you have nothing but time and money. It's still hard to succeed as an entrepreneur, even with that. And then again, when you're crippled with debts, with having to give most of your mental bandwidth to a nine to five and then another big portion to a family, like what's left over? And can you really expect with the leftovers to be a sort of successful business when it's so tough? And the answer you know, is it's going to be tough <laughs> and it's going to be a lot of work. And if you really want it, you got to commit to the side hustle. You got to say, you know what, for the next six months, I'm going to wake up two hours earlier, go to bed two hours later and spend those four hours focus on improving myself in any measurable way that I can in an area that I have both passion and expertise in. And then see if you can get any traction from that. And if you can, you know, as soon as you can make that leap, you know, do it because there's nothing more powerful than what I call the baby effect. And the baby effect can be a baby or it can just be, you know, a wife or a husband that you're supporting or it can just be whatever. But when we as humans have our backs against the walls and we have nothing but success that will save us, that's when we perform our best. I mean, yes, it's stressful. Yes, there's anxiety, but you will not take no for an answer and you will not take failure as a final result when you have that mouth to feed that person to support so it's not a bad place to be to have your back against the wall that's where we thrive as humans mm -hmm. yeah i totally agree with that um sometimes that really pushes you to excel and and be your best now you have um, a team that works for you is that is that right you've kind of built that is correct. I have a full team. So can you talk about maybe your process for finding and hiring those people and how you decided, you know, like when you needed a team and how you justified that expense? And So you need to start bringing on virtual assistants the moment you think you need to start bringing on virtual assistants. I mean, it's really true because as soon as you can take off the redundancy and any extra bandwidth that you personally don't aren't absolutely required to be doing as the leader of the team, you need to do it. And with the virtual assistants that are out there for four, five, six hundred dollars a month, which is five, uh, sorry, which is forty hours per week of work, mm -hmm. the sooner that you can invest in that, the absolute better, because it's going to free you up to do the things that really matter, that are really going to bring the revenue down the line. And there's great services like Virtual Staff Finder that you can reach out to and give them a list of the exact skill sets you're looking for with your, with your entrepreneur, I mean, with, for your virtual assistant, and they will go out and find vetted, referred candidates, present them to you and say, hey, here's three candidates that fit your requirements exactly. Jump on a video interview with them and select the one that you think is going to be the best fit. Mm -hmm. And that is a great place to start. Interesting. 
can you talk a little bit about what you uh, what you had your virtual assistants do maybe like when you first started hiring them and then like what they do now like what were you doing that you're like okay I gotta hand this off to somebody else so I can focus more on like big picture stuff or uh, social media. I mean, when social media really started picking up and, you know, just I wanted to continue to to be present there, but I just couldn't be spending all my time and bandwidth there. That's when I really saw our virtual assistant could come in and I could create systems that they could follow that would really allow me to maximize my time and effort. Mm-hmm. And do you have specific training that you give them, um, you know, for all your new hires or is it kind of specialized you sort of train them on the job? It's really on the job training. And I think we need to be comfortable with that. I mean, that's a skill that I learned early on in the army. It was like, that's a tank, jump on that tank, <laughs> learn how to drive it, learn how to shoot it. And yeah, we had people teaching us, but it was on the job training. Like like the simulators weren't going to be a successful way to learn how to do it in the real world. So on the job training is fine. Like you as a leader can learn along with your virtual assistant and that's okay. That's a great analogy um, with your military background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, are, what are some of the other things that you learned in the military that uh, you think are helped you in you know your business life? Oh, goodness, so many things. I mean, <laughs> Parkinson's Law was huge, realizing that tasks will expand to the time that you allot. And for me, like I realized that I could get eight interviews done in one day day if I just allotted one day to do it. Mm -hmm. And that was a critical realization for me. And when I started having that realization and that mindset shift happens, everything changed. Because a lot of people were telling me, John, you're never going to be able to do a a daily podcast because there's just not enough time in the week to schedule, to do the interviews every day. You're not going to be able to do anything else. Well, I figured out how to do a daily podcast one day a week. And that was a game changer. Another thing was Pareto's principle, which is basically in a nutshell that 20% of your activities is going to result in 80% of your desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. So realizing that 80% of what we do doesn't really result in much, but 20% of what we do desires and results in the vast amount of what our desired outcomes are. So really just continuing to evaluate what that 20% is, is so critical. Yeah, that's um, that's definitely really cool. I, yeah, imagine that gave you all kinds of um, help building your business, and also probably with leadership too. Totally. Yeah, and having employees. Um, going back to productivity, just for a minute, do you have a specific morning routine that you do? I know you talked about like about exercising and what you eat, but do you have some routine that you follow every single morning? Absolutely. I am a stickler to regimental, regimented activities. So for me, I like to get to bed early. Like my, my mornings start at night because I have to get my, my at least seven and a half to eight hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. So I'm waking up at 5.30. That means I'm getting into bed around 9.15, 9.30. So I can really be falling asleep by at latest 10 o'clock. And then I'm up um, before the sun and I'm doing a power walk, a 35 minutes, non-negotiable power walk around the Bay here in San Diego. That gets me outside breathing fresh air. It gets my blood pumping. You know, the sun's rising. So I'm getting some nice vitamin D with the sun exposure and it's helping my circadian rhythm out. Then I get back, you know, it's hydrating, it's pounding water with sea salt and, um, with trace minerals and all of the above. And that, you know, really, really critical stuff 
to make sure that I am doing the right things to set myself up for, for success. You know, then it's doing a nice green smoothie to get the vegetables into the body with some protein and some flaxseed and, you know, all the great stuff that you really want to be putting into your body to start the day to get that right energy going. And then, you know, it's doing some pull-ups and some stretching exercises and maybe some kettlebell workouts to just kind of really get you know, lifting some heavy things early in the morning to kind of just get into that zone that I've already kind of checked off that part of my day of health, fitness, and nutrition. And it's not till then that I sit down on my computer so that I can feel okay with kind of slouching over my keyboard for the next eight to 10 hours Mm -hmm. because I've already done things that are really important and beneficial for my body. Yeah, for sure. And do you have a specific time that you end work every day? Not really. I mean, it's pretty consistently between like six and seven is pretty common of when I'm actually finishing work. Mm -hmm. So it's something that I I really, you know, would like to get to a more structured end of the day. But to be honest, right now, it's just kind of as the sun starts going down. I notice that um, in the winter, I I usually wrap up a little earlier because it gets dark out. So I feel fine about stopping. But for some reason... I have a hard time stopping work before the sun goes down. Yeah, makes sense. So I know you're a busy guy. I just want to ask you one final question here. What kind of trends do you see coming in 2015 and beyond? And this could be stuff like trends you see online happening that people need to be focusing on with their business or just trends with like business and entrepreneurship in general. Yeah, this might be kind of uh, surprising coming from a podcaster because podcasting is on demand. You know, I record my podcast sometimes 40 days in advance and people are listening to the episode that I recorded a month and a half ago, um, you know, as it gets released one every single day. And that's an amazing medium for the producer. But one thing that I'm really seeing um, that I think is going to trend is actual live content. You know, me seeing Instagram posting, you know, where it's just, you're posting a picture and boom, you know, you're getting all this interaction, Snapchat, Vine, but then even moving into a couple newer things, Periscope and Meerkat, which is live video streaming. I'm really seeing that audiences are wanting to interact with people that they admire in real time. They want, you know, the more real you can make it, the better. And so really incorporating that as part of your social outreach is critical. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. I guess, um, you know, with people's attention spans and online, you are, have so yeah. much competition, you know, for <laughs> so much you know, the attention. Well, this was great. Um, just tell everybody where they could find more information on you. Where's the best place to listen to your podcast? Well, David, all the magic happens at eofire.com. We have some incredible free trainings there. We have a completely free podcast course at free podcastcourse.com, a completely free webinar course at thewebinarcourse.com, and some other great free trainings and everything that we have going on with resources. Get on our newsletter. It all happens at eofire.com. Okay, great. Well, thanks again for doing this. I know you're super busy, but um, this is a lot of awesome information. So I will post this up so uh, all my listeners can check it out. Thanks, David. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the AF Playbook podcast. If you want to learn more about online marketing, visit my blog at afplaybook.com forward slash blog. That's also the place to get show notes for this and other episodes of the AF Playbook podcast. If you're interested in joining the discussion on the AF Playbook forums, visit afplaybook.com to learn more. 
Thank you again for listening and I'll catch you next time.